This is the final word. Good evening, I'm Jenna Harner and welcome to The Final Word, the show that invites you, the fans, into the conversation. You can get your opinion on TV right here every Sunday night. And let's get started by introducing you to tonight's three panelists. Please welcome afternoon host at 105.9 The X, Mark Madden. Jenna, the Buccos won three out of four at St. Louis. I either have pennant fever or some kind of rash. <laughs> Bucko fever indeed. From our partner, DKVitzerSports.com, Dan Kovacevic. The young offensive lineman of the Steelers that I'm going to discuss tonight in my final word had better have had either pennant fever or a rash to excuse showing up for off-season workouts the way he did. And from the Trib, also a Steelers radio host, Tim Benz. That play by Cabrian Hayes at third base was so good today. I don't care that 38-year-old catcher Yadier Molina was the one going up the first baseline. I don't care if it was Casey Hampton at the height of his weight before the run test in Latrobe. That was still an amazing play. Yeah. Ben would have beat it out. <laughs> he better. Based on that offensive line, he better. <laughs> we wouldn't have been able to report it. A beautiful play indeed. <laughs> well, some of the topics we'll be talking about tonight. The addition of Trey Turner to the Steelers offensive line. What's next for Marc-Andre Fleury? The biggest surprise of the Stanley Cup playoffs up to this point. And should the Pirates draft a Vanderbilt pitcher? But first, the nice big topic. This week, there was some movement on the offensive front for the Steelers with the release of David DeCastro and the signing of Trey Turner. What are your realistic expectations for the Steelers offensive line this season? Mark, we start with you. Well, gee, let me see. Inside of 13 months, they lost every single starter on the offensive line, including two Steeler greats in DeCastro and Pouncey. The offensive line coach is in his first year as a position coach, a head position coach in the NFL. His boss, the offensive coordinator, is in his first year doing that job in the NFL. They got a rookie back running the ball behind him and a 39-year-old quarterback with limited mobility. It will be the worst offensive line in football, period. Dan? I, I don't know. Uh, I, I think that uh, in addition to acknowledging that everything that Mark said was straight fact, I'll also say that I like what I've seen of Chooksakora for in his two, three years in the NFL. Now, he's moving from right to left. We don't know that he can handle the left. I loved what I saw of Zach Banner in training camp last year when he was the best of all of the Steelers' offensive linemen, including the legendary guys that Mark mentioned. But he's only got one start in the NFL. And I'm nervous about the inside uh, for a bunch of reasons. Um, it's, it's shaky. And you know what? This is where the season is going to get decided. It really will. Tim? Well, I think a realistic expectation is that they won't get all four of the current quarterbacks on the roster killed before the end of this season. <laughs> At least not all. If they get to Dobbs, maybe they can keep Dobbs upright. So I think that's one realistic expectation. Another realistic expectation, I would hope, is that they don't completely ruin Najee Harris's rookie season. Look, part of the reason why they got Najee Harris, they won't say this, but I will, is that they know more than what is normally the case in this situation the special talented rookie back is going to have to help the offensive line as opposed to the usual analysis, which is why you don't get all the time a running back in the first round, that the offensive line helps the backs. The Steelers know this year this back is going to have to help that line. Yeah. But you watched him. If they can't run the ball well, even with Harris back there, they'll abandon the run and again. I, and I feel obligated I to that add. Too. I've been really impressed with Adrian Clem, the new offensive line coach, but that's just 
things that you're looking at. You know, it's got to happen on the field. Well, a reminder, you can keep the comments coming. You can find us on Twitter at WPXI Final Word, on Facebook at The Final Word. And now it's time for five words. Give us five words on the addition of Trey Turner. Chris Mascaro from Facebook saying, looking forward to watching him. Shane Davis on Twitter, won't make a huge difference. And from Facebook, Gerard Joseph says, an upgrade over DeCastro. Mark, your five words. Worst right guard in football. Oh. That's no, no, be quiet. Be quiet. Let an expert talk. Rather, let me speak for the experts at Pro Football Focus because he graded out as the worst right guard in football last year. Now, if he plays like he did at Carolina, that's a different story. But he was the worst right guard in football last year. Dan? Yeah, that's, that's accurate. He had a rough year. He started off, he missed seven of his first eight games to injury. Uh, my five words are, all depends on his health. Uh, as Mark said, when he was at Carolina and before that, uh, he was a really dynamic player. This was a Pro Bowl, multiple-time Pro Bowl choice. Uh, he's nasty. He gets after it. Uh, he'll tell you that he wasn't himself at all last year and that affected him throughout the year because he tried to get back in a contract year and it didn't work out for him. Tim? His injury was last year, so I guess that's an upgrade on what we just saw with David DeCastro and his health report. I mean, if David DeCastro was going to be out for a good chunk of the start of the season and was still having trouble coming back from the last surgery, what was it going to look like coming back after this surgery, potentially early in the season or by that point in midseason? Uh, for as bad as Turner was last year coming off of his injury, at least give me the guy who's a little bit further along in the recovery process to start out this year. And noteworthy, just last week he said he feels like he's back to 100%. Well, training camp is a little more than a month away, but when we come back, we are headed to the ice. After Vegas' season ended in the semifinals, there's a lot of chatter about Marc-Andre Fleury's future. Could a return to Pittsburgh be a possibility from social media? I take him at his word, and it's more likely than not that he stays in Vegas to play out his current contract. The panel debates it next on The Final Word. Welcome back to The Final Word. I'm Jenna Harner with Mark Madden, Dane Kovacevic, and Tim Benz. Now, in the team's exit interviews this past week, Golden Knights goalie Marc-Andre Fleury says he hopes he can stick around and finish his career in Vegas. Do you see that happening, or could there be the potential Fleury returns to Pittsburgh at some point? Tim? I think they're both the potential. I think it's more likely he stays in Vegas, but they've got a cap situation that's pretty tight, just like the Penguins have, if not worse. I mean, I think they were having issues, you know, icing a team legally like we saw with the Penguins a couple years ago. So the concern that I would have for Penguins fans who want to see Marc-Andre Fleury come back, and I'd love to see it too, is they're not going to be able to eat a chunk of his salary like we've seen in a lot of other moves where the Penguins have brought in familiar names. They're not going to be able to retain that, so the Penguins are going to have to send just as much talent and cash back to the Golden Knights to make the numbers work out. Well, from Brian on Facebook, he might stick around for another year or two in Vegas. As for coming back here, not going to happen. Dayan? Well, he's not a free agent, and that's how we seem to be talking about this. Yeah. You know, Tim, Tim mentioned the right thing here, and that's the Vegas cap. Uh, they're operating under a really, really tough set of restrictions at the moment. They're not even going to lose a player to Seattle in the expansion draft. I don't think a lot of people realize that. Uh, so Vegas has to figure out a way to incorporate 13 million dollars of their cap that's not budging 
being put into two goaltenders when Robin Leonard's 29 years old, and I think Peter DeBoer trusts Leonard way more than he does Flower and only reluctantly played him. So this is a much more a decision that's on Vegas management than it is on, on Flower. And if that's the case, I could see the Penguins making an offer that works. But the Penguins will have to take on that cap hit. Mark? Flower said he's happy in Vegas because it's the right thing to say. There's no way he could possibly be happy in Vegas. Peter DeBar, the coach, doesn't think he's the number one goalie, despite Flower's performance and stats dictating that he is. He's a Vezina Trophy finalist this year and got yanked out of the net after making one mistake in that series against Montreal. I've never seen a coach mangle his goaltending like DeBar did during that series. So I think Flower's going to want out. Is he going to come to Pittsburgh? Put it this way, he almost did last offseason. In fact, Vegas's ownership reneged on a deal that would have brought Flower back to Pittsburgh. And Dayon, you're right about the expansion draft thing with Seattle, man. Like In a great irony, I think that Vegas would prefer to not be exempt. I think they prefer to yeah, actually have one of their players yeah. go out. Yeah. Oh, guys, can you imagine Flower being back here? Can you imagine that scene? It would be uh, it would be one fans I know would absolutely love and just excitement already kind of seeming to build whether it's realistic or not. In that well, sense. They, they need him to win, Jenna. They're not going to win with this goalie. They're not. They're not going to win a cup with this goalie. They I agree with that. They completely. probably wouldn't yes. win one with Flower, but that gives them a chance. Yes. Yeah. Well, we will stay on the ice. Anything to beat this heat right now, right? The Montreal Canadiens and the Tampa Bay Lightning open up the Stanley Cup final Monday night. I know there's a very glaringly obvious answer to this question, but what has been the biggest surprise from the Stanley Cup playoffs up to this point. Dan? Well, I mean, the easy answer is the Canadians being in the final. Yeah. I'll get a little more specific than that. I, I love the emergence of Cole Caulfield. Not that he is a surprise. He was drafted where he was for a reason. The fact that he came up as late as he did, Mark Bergevin was patient with him in Montreal, brought him up, and now you see the goals that he's creating. He's he's one-man offense. He's a little dude. You know, all this talk about big and rough and tough and everything in the playoffs, and Montreal's getting it done with Caulfield and Nick Suzuki. Uh, Caulfield is my surprise. Well, from Twitter, the refs call the penalty that one time. <laughs> Tim? Nice. I think the biggest surprise is that the Golden Knights forwards were as poor as they were against Montreal. I kind of thought that Montreal would try to slow it down and maybe muck it up a little bit the way that they did and trap and, you know, play a stylistic approach to hockey like we saw the Islanders do in a couple of rounds as well. But I thought that eventually Vegas would be able to play that game and they've got good forwards that often turn defense into offense. And for Mark Stone and those other guys to disappear, boy, that one really surprised me. I didn't see that coming. Mark? It's obviously Montreal. And just to kind of tag on to what Dayon said, uh, not just Cole Caulfield, but just Barry Kotkaniemi mm -hmm. and uh, Nick Suzuki. I hate the way the Canadians play. They attempt to turn the game to sludge. But those three kids, when opportunity presents, they slip through the cracks and make great plays. Montreal's not a great team. They had the 18th most points in the NHL this past season. They were lucky to get in the playoffs, but uh, they're in the final. You can't take that away from them. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, we had to talk a little baseball. First, a little shout-out to Max Krennic for his impressive Pirates debut this afternoon. Five perfect innings before the rain delay. But we are headed to the College World Series. Now, we've gotten to see Vanderbilt pitchers Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter, both of who are projected to go in the top five of this year's MLB draft. Should the Pirates draft one of them or not, Mark? Winning teams in baseball 
are based on having number one and number two caliber pitchers. The Pirates can't trade for those. They can't sign them as free agents. The only thing they can do is draft them. Drafting either lighter or rocker is an absolute 110% necessity. And if they don't, it'll be for all the wrong reasons. From Twitter, absolutely draft rocker. How about you, Dan? Uh, they won't. Uh, that, that's definitely the indication that we're getting right now. They're going to be going at a position player, uh, whether it's Marcella Mayer, the shortstop out of uh, California, Jordan Lawler, another shortstop, um, Henry Davis, a catcher out of Louisville. The Vandy pitchers are on TV, so we see them. The Vandy pitchers are closer. They're older, so we can see them being in Pittsburgh sooner. So there's going to be a natural, I think, a, a temptation to want to bring them in. I happen to agree with Mark. I want to see starting pitchers for the same reasons that Mark outlined here. But I also have a hard time telling Ben Charrington, listen, you're going to build this whole operation based on high ceiling, maximum talent, maximum talent. And then when he has a number one overall pick, say, eh, not, not, not in this case. Tim? Yeah, but I think Jack Leiter is a maximum talent. And we all thought that Kumar Rocker was a natural talent going into the pandemic. Now I think he's going to be a steal for somebody at seven or eight. Uh, I think Dayon's right. They won't go with a Vandy pitcher, but I think Mark is right in that they should, and it should be Jack Leiter. Well, when we come back around the horn on any topic, the final word is next. This is the final word. It's time now for the final word. Everybody gets a chance. Tim, you're up first. Well, the Pirates are making a big deal. They're reopening weekend over the 4th of July holiday. And the thing that I'm looking to uh, more than anything else during that weekend is to see Neil Walker get honored by the Pirates. And I think they're doing it right. They're not turning it into too big of a deal. They're making it part of a bigger thing with now all of a sudden PNC Park open back to capacity again. But, you know, Neil Walker was a very good player here in Pittsburgh. He wasn't an all-star. He's not a Hall of Famer. They're not giving him a statue. They're not retiring his number. They're letting him throw out the first pitch. And I think that's an appropriate way to remember a guy who was a fantastic representative for the organization where times were bad. He was a great representative where times were good. And it's nice to be able to see him, I would imagine, put on a Pirates jersey again, throw out the first pitch, and be applauded in Pittsburgh while wearing a Bucko jersey instead of coming back in another team's jersey like he had to do too often at the end of his career. Mark, your final word. We still don't know exactly why the Steelers won't be having training camp in Latrobe. We were told their plan was next, but we weren't told specifically by who. You hear the NFL, the NFLPA. You hear the state might have ixnayed the plan. I hear the players were adamant about not wanting to go back to Latrobe. And given the makeup of this team, that wouldn't surprise me one little bit. It really doesn't matter where camp is except to the economy of Latrobe. And it hurts that a great deal, but I'm sorry to say, I don't believe Steelers training camp will ever be back at Latrobe again. Dan, your final word. Jen, imagine being one of the Steelers' young offensive linemen and everything that we've talked about in this show and how important they're going to be toward this coming season and then not doing what's expected of you through the offseason. That's the case with Kevin Dotson, as we reported at DK Pittsburgh Sports over the weekend. The Steelers are upset with him. The Steelers actually brought Trey Turner in, not to replace David DeCastro, not for the initial visit. They did it because they were looking for somebody to either push or replace Dotson. Wow, as if this situation wasn't already dire enough.
Well, for my final word tonight, I'll go back to the College World Series. Pirates pitcher David Bednar's little brother, Will, also a Mars High School grad, is having himself a phenomenal CWS for Mississippi State. And you really just have to love the bond of brotherhood. Derek Shelton telling us today, David has worn a Mississippi State pullover for the last eight days in a row. And every time he walks by Shelton's office, he says, go dogs. We are wishing Will all the best as game one is underway tomorrow night. Thanks so much for watching the final word. Have a great night.